It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. Coming from a history of institutionalization and segregation, people with intellectual disabilities, or ID, have made strides in education, employment, housing, and support services in general. However, the facts show that society is still far from achieving its vision of offering everyday lives for those among us with ID. On today's show, we're going to take a look at how and why this is and what's missing for those with ID in terms of their connections to community and the larger society. Dr. Marita Flagler of Shippensburg University has made this an area of focus and has performed research and presented on this issue. She's the Associate Professor in the Department of Social Work and Gerontology and founder and co-director of Shippensburg University's Institute for Social Inclusion. She joins us for today's podcast. Thanks for being here, Dr. Flagler. Thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So tell us about, I guess I'd like to start out talking about the Institute for Social Inclusion and then we can get to your presentation. Uh, The Institute for Social Inclusion uh, started officially uh, four years ago, but as an idea, I played with it for several years. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, we are a university. As you said, I teach in a university, and university is not only about teaching. University is about education in general, and education goes beyond educating the students that come to college, we have a responsibility to the community. And uh, being a social worker, I have had the good luck of working with many agencies uh, in this community. And uh, I could see what the need was there. We have got uh, people that do great work, but sometimes, sometimes, We need a different vision in the work that we do, especially in the field of uh, social services, human services. We respond to the needs of people. We try our best uh, to provide uh, the basics for a quality of life somehow. But we forget that If we are doing things for individuals, nothing will change unless we have changed the society where these individuals live in. Mm -hmm. And the idea of social inclusion comes from a vision of having a society that is inclusive, that is accepting of everybody, that gives opportunities to everybody, that opens doors to everybody. And uh, so... Uh, I met with faculty from different departments who had similar ideas, and we decided to start this institute. It's uh, interdisciplinary in nature. In our steering committee, we have people from math who are very interested in STEM education because STEM education is all about inclusion inclusion in general. We have people from education. We have people from uh, psychology, from social work, We have uh, people from management at the university. And uh, what we have been doing in these past four years is we have organized an annual uh, national conference on topics of social inclusion. We have organized a couple of uh, trainings. 
And uh, the idea is that this year, and we go with school years here, so 2019-2020, our focus will be on uh, building uh, good connections with the communities around us. Because as I told you, this is where we started, and we haven't been very successful in uh, doing that. In reaching out to the community? In uh, reaching out to the community and establishing connections that are mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The community that Shippensburg University is in is a conservative in the extreme, I would say. Um, so I imagine, you know, kind of trying to bridge that would be a little more of a challenge. Uh, the way I see it is this. Uh, coming from a different culture, I really believe that people, per se, in, in themselves, people want to be included. People feel the need to be included. So the idea of social inclusion... I don't see it as a partisan uh, agenda idea. I see it as a human idea. Mm -hmm. So I go beyond the politics. This is not a question of being a Republican or being a Democrat. This is a question of being a human being that wants to have a better life for himself, herself, themselves, and for uh, their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, with that being defined, let's get to your study and your presentation regarding social capital and making connections for people with intellectual disabilities. Tell us what prompted you to get engaged in this work. Well, I will start with the very, very first spark. Uh, 2006, I moved uh, here to Pennsylvania. And I love reading the local newspapers. So, Which are mostly gone at this point. Yeah, but at that time... They would bring a local newspaper uh, during the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I opened the newspaper, and three pages of the newspaper are about a prom for students with special needs. And my heart literally sank. I said, what is this? 2006, and we're having a prom for students with special needs? Aren't they part of the student uh, community? I told you that I have a son with special needs who is now 34 years old, but when he was in Colorado, that's where we lived, we lived in Fort Collins for many years, the prom was the highlight of his uh, high school. I remember when uh, he had a wonderful date, Lindsay, he used to have a crush on her, and she, she was one of those students uh, that was uh, in the body program, best body program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Gelden, who is my son, really liked Lindsay. And uh, Lindsay liked Gelden. So Lindsay became uh, Gelden's uh, prom date. Nice. And uh, Gelden and uh, his friend Marisa, Marisa also had uh, her prom date, and uh, two of the aides from the school... Be- dressed very nicely. They had the limousine. No, uh, full, they took the kids. Deal. Oh, they took the kids to dinner. Yes, of course, my son needed medications, but the aide gave him the medication. Then they went to the prom and had all the pictures and the post-prom party. And for months, so we would look at pictures. My son is not verbal, but we would look at the prom pictures and I could see his face. Yeah. So for me, it was like, well, my son had that wonderful experience. Why are we not giving that experience to the kids here? So this is where this whole thing started. And I have been following this issue 
since I first moved to Pennsylvania, and that was 2006. Mm -hmm. And what I have noticed is that uh, Pennsylvania has been a little slower than Colorado. I don't know the other states, so I cannot <coughs> talk about them. But a little slower than uh, Colorado to embrace uh, inclusion of people with intellectual disabilities. My son has what would be called technically severe intellectual disabilities, but he went to mainstream schools and he had great connections in every stage of his life with uh, what I would call regular students, yeah, non-disabled sure. students. And here, what I see is that like in Franklin County, we have the Franklin County Learning Center. Uh -huh. They do a great job there, but I really, for the life of me, cannot understand why do we bus children with special needs in this separate school. We have another school for children with autism, and I have visited the school uh, several times. They do a great job there. What people who are doing these things don't see and what parents very often don't understand is that what we're doing is we're isolating these yeah, children. It's segmented. really, for me, it's a de facto segregation. Yeah. Because if all your friends in high school, in middle school, are people with special needs, when do you have the chances of meeting mm -hmm. people without special needs and establishing connections. I believe all of us have got friendships that come from the days of school, and we would not have these friends that are different from us if schools were not places where people from different uh, social economic levels, races, ethnicities came together to learn from each other. So it starts with the schools, and then you have got the programs. My son, uh, as I said, uh, is considered to have a severe intellectual disability, so he is unable to work. So he goes to a day program. What happens when he goes to a day program? It's a day program where people do community participation through a concept that still baffles me. Why? Because they go to a shopping mall and we went to the community. <laughs> They go to a park. They went to a community. And no conscious efforts are made to help the people in this day program to establish connections mm -hmm. with peers who are non-disabled. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think Colorado has such a different approach to Pennsylvania? Uh, because I have to believe that the people in Pennsylvania are well-intentioned. I, I totally believe that, that people are well-intentioned. But... Uh, what did they do the differently in Colorado? They just uh, in Colorado, it was... Uh, I went there in 1995 as a student. So I, that's what I found there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believed to be the American way. Right, right. And in uh, Colorado, we had unified sports. So when my kid played basketball, he didn't play basketball with other kids with special needs. He played basketball with kids with special needs and other people of the same age. He, we did the same uh, for soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, when we had activities, the activities were always together. As I said, with school, my in Fort Collins, where I lived, there were not special schools. Mm -hmm. 
There were special programs within the schools, but one of the main goals of these programs was the connection with the other students and the other programs. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the history. <clears throat> what I have read in the books uh, is that there has always been some resistance in Pennsylvania towards uh, inclusion uh, by uh, special education. The reasons for that... Uh, I uh, wouldn't say I have got a good understanding for, but the reasons for resistance towards uh, inclusion in education and then in the other areas of life come first from the good intentions. Right. Uh, the first good intention is through the quality of education. If you bring together all the experts in one building, you'll have a lot of expertise, yes? And uh, they will work together, and some of the programs might have higher quality than if you have a program with one uh, special needs teacher in a school where all the other teachers teach, all the other teachers teach uh, the other students. Uh, but the second reason is uh, it's easy for the administrators to have them segmented. Oh yeah, it's very yeah. easy. It's very easy. That's what I was just thinking. It, it's it, very easy. Logistically, it makes it easier no. for them. And it might even be less costly. And the fact is that when the federal government started special education, the intention was that it would be funding it to at least 40%. It has never done it. It has never gone beyond 12%. And then the states are left to, keep, pick, up to pick up the tab. And as we know how the schools are funded... It all uh, gets into the funding of the Department of Education in a certain place. Mm -hmm. What would an ideal situation look like to you for, for people with intellectual disabilities in the community? Uh, well, for children, as I said, I really want to see all of them in normal schools. Mm -hmm. In schools, where, in neighborhood schools, this is what I would call them. Mm. And uh, there is a convention on the rights of... Uh, persons with disabilities, and that is the idea. Children with disabilities have the right to go to their neighborhood school so that they socialize with their neighbors, with their friends. And then you give the specialized teaching and assistance within that environment. Mm -hmm. So we have a shared space, but we respond to the special needs with specialized assistance. Sure. But the sh for me, the concept of shared space is extremely important because it's the shared space where the contacts happen, where friendships uh, happen, where relationships develop. If you look even into the relationships of parents, parents with special needs develop very strong relationships with other parents of children with special needs. A very good thing because that provides a lot of support. Right. But if you have two children with special needs, then all your relationships will be with other parents who have children with special needs. And then how do you bring these children with special needs into the community where they belong? Are there still stigmas attached uh, to the ID community? There are stigmas, but I wouldn't say that stigma is as strong as it used to be, because I see that with my kid. Mm -hmm. 
everybody is very loving. Everywhere we go, people smile, uh, high five. And I really don't see people who are trying to put down my kid or are trying to consider him as different. But having said that, and this is not stigma, but this is the way we look at people with disabilities. We look at them as others. I think that's kind of more where I was going with that question, that there's a discomfort. It's, it's discomfort, uh, and it's also, you know, very often you get a vision for what you expect. And what you expect for your children, what you expect from other people, and the expectations we have for people with intellectual disabilities are very low. I think this is where the issue is. The expectations by the parents are very low. Parents themselves really cannot expect, they cannot dream of having their child with intellectual special needs be friends with children who don't have special needs. They right. cannot see their child with special needs having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend. Uh, they, it's a, the concept of this is good enough so it's good enough that my kid goes to a day program. Mm -hmm. It's good enough that my kid goes to an, uh, an employment program. And here uh, in Franklin County, uh, OSI does a very good job in providing services. But OSI can do a much better job in providing more community employment. Can you tell us very quickly what OSI does for uh, Occupational uh, Services, Inc. Uh, it provides services of employment for people with disabilities, mm -hmm. and it has got a workshop uh, where uh, people uh, sometimes uh, work, sometimes don't work, because it depends on uh, how much work they can procure for mm -hmm. them. And then they also support uh, people with disabilities in the community in different forms. And uh, that part of their work is wonderful. But uh, if you go to the workshop, and I have taken students there and have gone there several times, 30 years ago, it was a wonderful thing. People with disabilities were working. Now, for me, it's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> because it hasn't changed? Well, it hasn't changed. It yeah, hasn't changed. You get people model. with disabilities that go there, stay all day with people with disabilities. And this is what happens. So these people with disabilities, most of them stay in group homes. Their peers in the group homes are people with disabilities. They go to work. They are there with people with disabilities. Right. So you see how we have built these invisible walls around uh, Well, you described it perfectly before. It's de facto segregation. And uh, I, many people uh, are not happy when I say it. <laughs> but uh, frankly, I would say that if we had the same situation for uh, race or ethnicity we wouldn't be so accepting. Right, right. I think people just, this is status quo. You know, this is the best thing for them. Yes. You know, this is, makes us all feel more comfortable. Yes. And the best thing for them, because we were talking about reasons why we have got these segregated things, Another, one reason that many parents have is fear. What are they afraid of? Well, first, uh, they're afraid of abuse. They are afraid of bullying. Uh -huh. They are afraid of neglect. So, in a sense, they want to protect their children. They right. don't want their children to be rejected. Right. 
So it all comes from a very good place. But the fact is that uh, if we are afraid, nothing happens. Because if we protect these kids, then they don't have a place in the world, and the world doesn't think they have a place mm -hmm. there. And I'll tell you this story. Two years ago, I was having dinner with a group of parents uh, that have children with special needs. At uh, the university, we have uh, several programs for students, and they are all-inclusive programs for students with intellectual disabilities. So as part of this program, I think it was a Thanksgiving dinner. And I was sitting uh, with a parent of a daughter with special needs. And I had met the daughter in uh, the programs there. Very high-functioning uh, young woman. So I asked the father uh, what she was doing now that she had graduated from school. And the response was, she stays at home and she helps her mom. And I said, are you thinking of helping her get a job? And he looked at me as if this idea was out of this world. He said, what job? We don't need her money. I said, no, <laughs> but she needs her money. <laughs> yeah. She needs her independence. And she needs her independence. And then I asked about whether she has friends. She goes out to movies with friends. She does things. And uh, the father was, no, she does everything with us. We don't neglect our daughter. The whole concept was that they would be neglecting their daughter if they were not there with her all the time. We're talking a woman that is 20 years old. Which 20-year-old woman would like to be with her parents all the time? I don't know, but I can kind of empathize with that level of fear. I mean, as a parent, you know. I totally the, agree. But the things you listed are all things that everyone can encounter. Yes. Bullying, rejection. This is just the human condition. And uh, we have got this tendency of protecting people with disabilities from failing. Mm -hmm. No, we all learn through our errors. We have all learned through our failures. Hopefully. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of us better than others, but... The fact is that without failing, there is no success. And uh, if we protect the individual so much, then what happens? And the society has changed. In Shippensburg, uh, I go almost every Tuesday and play trivia with my husband at Arugas. And uh, there is a young man in a wheelchair that comes and plays with a group of people. The good thing is he's not a novelty. Mm, he, is, uh, he just comes and he plays. And uh, one day uh, when uh, there was no trivia, so his group was not there, he came and he stayed by me. We struck a conversation. I could have a conversation with anybody in the bar. And what I loved there was that uh, he's in a wheelchair and uh, has got problems talking. He has mm -hmm. got uh, CP. But the staff came and uh, gave him his beer because they knew how to give him the beer. Uh, he paid. Everything was normal. Why? Because the staff knew him. Mm -hmm. The staff were comfortable with him. People in the environment were comfortable with everything. So the more people with disabilities are in the community, in the shared spaces, the more comfortable we are. Yeah. And that exposure. That exposure works both ways. Yeah. Because it works for the community, but it also works for people with disabilities. Because very often when I meet with staff, they say, but the, you don't know the guys we're taking care of. They don't know how to behave in the community. And I say, of course they don't know how to behave in the community if they are not accompanied by staff. They have never been left. Right. They weren't allowed to. 
Sounds like one of the biggest hurdles are the parents. Uh, they are a hurdle. They are a hurdle. Again, it comes from a very good place. Well, but it they, comes from a place of love, but controlled by fear. They are a hurdle, and it will take a little bit of time. How can we change that? That's where services come in place. If we have reliable services with a vision of social inclusion, then parents would be much more trusting. Mm -hmm. Like my kid goes to uh, inclusive basketball that we do on campus and to people involved equally, which is PI, with students. I never have any worries. And then uh, he goes to parties, he goes to restaurants. Frankly, I never have any worries because what I have seen in my community is uh, that people are accepting of him. Why? Because he's out and about. (laughs) Yeah. I think people in those situations, when they're confronted with that, they know what to do. They know that this situation requires a little more attention, a little more empathy maybe. And, you know, everyone wants to see a good result. And we all, as human beings, as I said, if you look at the essence of who we are, we are all caring. Mm -hmm. We are all caring. And uh, we only need to kind of channel that caring in the right way. So in in your study, uh, how do you define intellectual disability? Well, uh, I will define it as the federal government uh, defines it. It's uh, an individual who has an IQ that is lower than uh, 75. Uh, the disability has started before the person is 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the person uh, doesn't have the ability to do by himself or herself or themselves uh, at least uh, two of the main areas of uh, independent living Mm -hmm. and uh, people with intellectual disabilities uh, are on a let's say a spectrum of uh, needs so you have people that have got uh, mild intellectual disabilities and people who have moderate intellectual disabilities Mm -hmm. people who have severe and people who have uh, profound disabilities but the thing is that all of them are people right And as people, all of them need the connections. Mm -hmm. It's much easier for people with mild intellectual disabilities. But I said it's much easier, but it's not very easy. Right. And it's more difficult for people with severe intellectual disabilities, like my son, who cannot talk verbally, but communicates in different forms. What is lost for people with intellectual disabilities in not making connections? I mean... Oh, for people... So this is... I see it as a loss on all the parties involved. Mm -hmm. For people with intellectual disabilities, uh, if we frame it in the social capital uh, framework, if uh, you don't make connections and you don't have friends, you don't have social capital... What does that mean? You need, when you are distressed, you need to be with somebody that understands you. Mm -hmm. Sure. He or she won't be there. When you need help with something, you won't have anybody that is unpaid to help you there. Then, uh, how do we learn the news? 
How do we find resources all through our networks? So not having any of these networks, their life becomes devoid of so many important things. We very often uh, say that people with intellectual disabilities might have a dual diagnosis and depression might be one of them. Well, I mean, how depressive it is to go to a day program and then go back to your home, not to have uh, an event that you are looking forward to, not to have a friend that you can spend time with and do things with. So that would be for people with disabilities. And for the community, we lose so much because the people with disabilities have so much to offer. They offer things in a different way. Like my son doesn't talk, but my son has got a very warm smile and a big hug. And when you are with him and you play with him for 45 minutes, it's really like going to a therapy session (laughs) because he gives you that feeling of being accepted unconditionally, which is wonderful yeah, <laughs> for everybody. We love that. And uh, we all need friends. So people with special needs are very reliable friends. And as a society, the fabric of society, you need everybody to be part, to build the fabric. It's like if you have got the threads missing, you will have holes. Are you currently working to expand our access to that, that, those communities and their access to us? Yes, both. What and, are you doing? Uh, so uh, at the university, we have been doing this thing for many years. We do every Saturday what we call inclusive basketball. Okay. And uh, it uh, is conceptualized as a neighborhood game of basketball. Whoever wants to shows up. And we have people from the community with, uh, with disabilities that come. And we have students that come. And uh, they just play together. And they spend some time together during the break. And because they have been doing it year after year after year, they have developed relationships. Mm -hmm. Many students come because they are asked to volunteer for a class, for a semester. They do the 10 hours. There they are, three years after (laughs) it. And they say they come because they really enjoy the atmosphere, that atmosphere of, as I said, unconditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that we have been doing at the university is uh, a program called People Involved Equally. And uh, again, students and people with intellectual disabilities, they meet in the evening and they do different events together, activities. Mm -hmm. Then every year we do an annual inclusive party. That was the very first thing I did. I told you the story of the prom, and I said, Mm -hmm. let's have a model. And uh, we usually get about 120 people, students and people with special needs and their families, and they play together and stay together and dance together. And it's two hours of a lot of fun. So this is what we do, what we are doing at the university. Mm -hmm. The good thing with what we have been doing is that we have developed these models for families. So the families that have been bringing their children for years, they don't want to go to non-inclusive activities anymore. That was no fun. And the uh, young boys and girls that come with disabilities, they don't want to go to disability-only events. The activities have been extremely therapeutic. We have had people, and we, we don't provide therapy, so we're not a 
therapeutic program. But no, this it's is what a form I, of therapy. But this is what I have learned is socialization in itself, mm-hmm. positive atmosphere is therapeutic. Mm-hmm. People who were having issues, people with special needs, people with autism, were having severe issues in schools. They come to our program, they know what is expected, they behave very differently. And then very often I've been told by parents, they transfer these behaviors and they say, at inclusive basketball, we are expected to do this. And for the students that come, they say they develop that understanding that we might not do things in the same way, but we can do things together differently and still have fun. Mm -hmm. So... This is the model that we have developed. The other thing that we have been doing is, I've been doing trainings with agencies, <laughs> uh, talking about these uh, topics. And uh, in our conference for social inclusion, we always have one section that is devoted to intellectual disabilities. I did the study, as I told you several years ago, where I wanted to compare the connections of people with intellectual disabilities and other people in the community. And as I predicted, unfortunately, uh, for every area that I studied, and I studied uh, social connections in the neighborhood, participation in social groups, participation in community activities, participation in daily activities, social networks, friends, partners, and family, and support resources. In each one of these areas, when I compare the results, the differences were statistically significant with people from the community having more resources, more connections, more friends. Right. And when, after I did the study, I went to the board of the two agencies that had participated uh, in the study, the ARC of Cumberland and Perry Counties and the UCP of uh, Central Pennsylvania. And... Uh, As I presented the results, what I saw was the surprise in all uh, the board members. It was as if they didn't know that people with disabilities had less connections. And the other thing that made me a little bit uncomfortable was they didn't expect people with disabilities to have partners. They didn't expect people with disabilities to participate in the elections. It was like, what do you expect from them? Yeah. It was not, what supports can we provide to make these things happen? So their status quo was things are okay, just and, leave it here. And that is, you talk, you talk with them, it is exactly the same thing. And I'll tell you this very, very sad experience I had, uh, huh, when was it, two years ago. Understanding that the agencies don't know how to do these things, I found resources, collaborated uh, with groups of people. There is a great uh, collaborative network, the Interdependence Network, that is working on this field, and I'm a member of that network. So I got their resources. The Center for Excellence uh, for Disabilities in Minnesota has also focused on developing relationships, and they have also developed resources. So I got the resources, and I wrote a grant and got money for a two-year grant, $160,000, to develop a model program for an agency that would have 
parent education, uh, support uh, coordination education, so that we could change from the plans to how we supported the people. The people in the agencies would learn how to establish connections in the community. We would work with community organizations to open their doors. So the whole range of things. Yeah. Worked for it for a year, got the money. The agency director changed, met with the new director and the old director, Two days before we were supposed to kick the grant, I received an email. The agency was no longer interested in the grant because they were in the process of restructuring. That shows that this is not a priority because if somebody is giving you money, which I raised, I wrote the grant, I collaborated with the people in the agency, don't get me wrong, it was collaborative, collaborative process, but I put in the work. And we as a university were willing to put in the work. The people at the university management, they put in a lot of money in the program because they believed in it. They said, we need to do this for the community. And the agency that I won't give the name of said, we don't need it. Two years ago, if we had done it by now, we would have had the model program <laughs> Is it because you're trying to restructure the entire framework of how this, this community is yes. treated? And that's yes. just too much to ask for some people at a certain point? I totally agree with you. But the thing is that uh, if we don't do the restructuring, very little will happen. Because this is what I learned as I was doing my study. This is what I learned from conversations with people. You cannot have intervention in one small area. You need at least seven or yeah, it was eight areas to cover. Mm -hmm. But you need to start somewhere. Yeah. I want to circle back to the parents. In talking about when they go to these all-inclusive activities... The parents must experience a transformation in terms of how they see their child moving through the world. I totally agree with that. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, okay, I'll give you examples, but without names. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we had this uh, guy, I, uh, I think he's uh, 21 years old. Mom brought him and uh, said... I have heard about this program. I don't know if he will fit, uh, but he loves playing basketball. I said, okay, let's give it a try. So he came, and at the beginning, uh, he didn't know what to do with the teams, and he didn't know the people. First day, he stays for 20 minutes and says, that's it. Then mom brings him again. I said, see if he can come again. He comes the second time. He plays for uh, the full hour. And then uh, I asked one of the students to spend a little bit time of him with him because uh, I, I could understand how he felt alone. as sure. the, He saw the others had relationships. Well, that's just like anybody showing up to a basketball game where you don't know anybody. Yes, totally. So, and... Uh, this student who has graduated now, he a very nice uh, black man with a big smile, uh, he said, let's play together. And uh, they started this relationship from that day on. 
Now, this guy has been coming for three years. <laughs> Mom, who came, and at the beginning, she would talk with me and she would say, there is nothing to do in Franklin County. I don't know. My kid is staying at home. After the first year, her conversation was, where do I find resources? Nice. Nice. You opened her the, up. The second year was, we're looking for jobs here and there. What do you think about these opportunities? So it transformed, it transformed the everything parent. about yeah. their lives. And now the parent says, uh, the son, of course, doesn't, does not want to work in a sheltered employment. Mm -hmm. The son wants to work in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. He wants to work with other people. And he wants to have friends uh, that are friends of his age, not right. friends that are necessarily friends with people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So he goes to church now, and he has got the connections through the church with the friends. But mom got the courage. Before, she didn't have the courage because she felt that her son would not fit. What would the others say? What would the others do? Now that she sees that her son is very accepted, boy, he's a very good basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So everybody cheers him and loves him, and uh, he's a very nice man. So at the, everyone's lives become richer through these yes, interactions. Yes, because what you need is a model. The example I always use is when you have never tried something, even with food, you don't know what that is. Right. And you have to try it, to like it, and then to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to take risks, for sure. Are the services, uh, what are some of the services available to families with uh, children with intellectual disabilities? Uh, the good thing is that... Uh, in 2019, there is a push for uh, community participation and inclusion. There is a push for uh, community employment through federal legislation and through state uh, legislation. And uh, in the area, there are uh, many opportunities. And if the family has a support coordinator, the support coordinator will know of these uh, opportunities. Is there any website that people might go to uh, to learn a little bit more? Well, uh, what I know... Uh, it, Websites won't work very well in these cases, okay. but uh, for adults that are over 18, uh, they have a support coordinator with SAMS, uh, which is a management agency for people with intellectual disabilities, okay. and they will know of these resources. But the parents need to push mm -hmm. for the type of resources, not to accept what is offered to them. Mm -hmm. but push for what they believe their uh, child needs. And parents uh, need to believe that taking risks uh, has got big payoffs. Yes. Well, all parents are faced with that at some point. You know, you, the child's ready to go off to college or camp or whatever. You have to embrace the fact that the world can be uh, <laughs> an unkind place in some instances. And that's okay. You yeah. recover from it and we move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, I believe, in your paper talking about, or maybe this is just me thinking about this, is having mentors for people with individual intellectual disabilities. They are doing it uh, in another program in our, on campus, uh, Hire Me, and it has to do with employment. Mm -hmm. And this is what they are doing. They are uh, mentoring uh, young kids with disabilities for jobs. Mm -hmm. We don't have in this area... Uh, special program. There are best buddies programs uh, 
in the country. And in this uh, area, we don't have uh, something similar. I know that uh, uh, Dickinson has started something similar. Mm -hmm. And I would very much love, love for Wilson to start something like that. Mm -hmm. At Shippensburg, since we are doing all these other things, I mean, you have limited resources. Right. We haven't gone into mentoring, but I will tell you this, that what happens in uh, inclusive basketball, what happens in uh, people involved equally, you really have mentoring through the relationships there. Throw out the times for that basketball game in case anyone's listening. Basketball is uh, every Saturday, almost every Saturday, from 11 until 12. And we have a Facebook page. And if people check Inclusive Basketball at Shippensburg, that's where they will find uh, our uh, schedule. And we also put pictures of people there mm -hmm. and videos. Awesome. And that's for everybody, just not and people with intellectual disabilities. That's for certainly. anybody. There are people from community that want to come. We welcome them. Mm -hmm. They want to come and play with us. Mm -hmm. As I said, it's open as a neighborhood uh, basketball game. Are there other ways we can get involved? Many ways. I mean, uh, if uh, here in Franklin County we want to start something in uh, having shared spaces... Uh, there are programs. Uh, Meraki has a day program, and they are trying to do activities and events. We could work with them and see if we could do things so where people from their program would participate in some event with people from the community. Mm -hmm. So there are many things can be organized. Mm -hmm. What you need is uh, a couple of people in the community that are interested in doing something different. What what have you spoken to local employers about uh, employing people with ID? Uh, I haven't because uh, there are specialized agencies that are doing that. Okay, like OSI uh, and uh, Ahead, and there are other. I mean, uh, because of uh, the focus on community employment, mm -hmm. as I said, by both the federal and the state. Uh, government, uh, there are many organizations that are pushing in that direction. And if anyone listening uh, wants to get involved, I know that OSI has uh, people that will come out and do mm -hmm. various jobs. A former employer of mine, they came out and they did cleaning. Yeah. And so if you're interested, look up OSI and see how you can get involved. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on the program, and I greatly admire the work you're doing. Thank you, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say, uh, if you'd like to send us an email, if, um, you can send it to progresspod at gmail.com. We're also online at progresspod.org. And the Institute for Social Inclusion has a Facebook page, and you guys are online. Uh, if they check, they try to find InSync at Shippensburg, they will. Great. All right. Thank you, and thanks for listening. <laughs>